Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Danny Bailey in the booth there uh, on what we used to call ones and twos a very long time ago. Although even I wasn't even around when they had ones and twos. But, but Danny putting the music together a little unwell. Yeah, that's what it feels like watching the Denver Nuggets lately. And we're trying to figure out, are they fatigued? Are they injured? Do they just not care? Joining us now to talk about it is our own reporter from MileHighSports.com. Make sure that you check out all the tremendous work. He is doing it, and especially the, the get-togethers he puts together after every game. Phenomenal stuff. NBA Blackburn on Twitter, our own Ryan Blackburn. Ryan, thanks for the, the time today. Really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sandy. Really appreciate you guys having me on and excited to, to get this going with you guys. Should be a lot of fun. Well, what's going to get going? When are the Denver Nuggets going to look like they care about any of these remaining games? Uh, you know, it's a great question. I, I think that it started off as them not caring in, in that first game against Chicago, you go and travel to San Antonio and doesn't look very good. And I think Jokic was trying at that point, at least on one end of the floor, but there was obviously a little bit of a disconnect. And I think the team is honestly in, in a kind of a rough place right now. It's not like they're not entirely trying during the stretch. I think that they are trying against some of these teams and Brooklyn played a great game against Denver. Toronto played a great game against Denver. And sometimes you get hit with great games. And I just don't think the Nuggets are as immune to, to some of this stuff as they were in January and February, where it felt like they could mess around for a quarter, a half, and still come out with a win. Now it, it just feels like they've got a lot working against them and they're, they're not playing their best basketball. How much of that has to do with a admitted by at one point a Reggie Jackson, a, a bench that is not integrated yet. Well, there's no doubt that that's probably, that's, that's probably the biggest concern when it comes down to, Hey, is this team actually good enough to push for a title to win a championship? And in, in this case, I would be concerned if I were Denver, I, I think that Reggie Jackson not playing last night, is an indication that Michael Malone is still searching. He's still trying to figure out what his best combinations are. Thomas Bryant played last night. He didn't play again on Sunday against Brooklyn. There, There's a lot to unpack, I think, with these rotations. And the only guy who I think is really safe coming off of that bench is Bruce Brown. And I don't think Bruce has played particularly well over the course of these last couple months. It's, uh, it's not a great place for Denver to be to have only – really like three or four reliable pieces right now. Be as all of that may, doesn't at least some of the fault lie with the coach who has refused to play certain people all year, uh, has run off uh, at least one player who admittedly ran himself off to an extent because he left the bench during a game, but doesn't the lack of integration fall on Malone? And I refer to his post-game statements. Uh, he's saying some of those same things that you were talking about. Uh, cruise control, uh, complacent, we're in chill mode. Uh, that's very convenient for Michael Malone because it absolves him from any responsibility to my way of thinking, the mistakes of Michael Malone are now finally catching up with the Denver Nuggets. 
mistakes he's made all year in deployment of personnel. And I believe Jokic is dead tired. I believe Jamal Murray is playing a ridiculous number of minutes. He was the only player on the floor who played 40 minutes last night. My question is whether Malone has done enough in the past to warrant giving him the benefit of the doubt. My feeling is that he hasn't even come close to doing enough in the past. To me, this is largely on Malone. I think there are a lot of Nuggets fans, Sandy, that, that feel that same way. There's, there's a lot of folks in and around uh, Nuggets fandom that are on the outs with Michael Malone and, and what he has done on a consistent basis. It, it certainly feels like a guy like Michael Porter has had to scratch and fight and claw his way into the good graces of Michael Malone and has had a great season to this day. And then Sunday comes around where he is playing a fantastic game, has a couple of mistakes in the third quarter, and then is benched until the end of the game. I think that there was a lot of brushback, both internally and externally, from that decision. And it it speaks to me that a lot of the guys that Michael Malone is currently hitching his wagon to right now are either tired, hurt, or not playing well. And he has a lot of players in guys like Michael Porter Jr. and Christian Brown who have been good soldiers the entire year, and it seems like they aren't being rewarded in that way in situations where they would be helpful. They would potentially get Denver out of this slump. Uh, I think that some of the rotation decisions and some of all of that aspect of this come down to trying to integrate Reggie Jackson, trying to integrate Thomas Bryant and see what you have with those guys. And to that point, it is difficult to do that. It is really difficult to integrate players this late into a season where they are trying to figure out Jokic style basketball and Nugget style basketball, just like everybody else. And to this point, I think both of those guys have failed. So if you're Malone, you're trying your best to come up with these combinations. You're also trying your best to motivate players to try hard. And that is a harder task, I think, than a lot of fans give credit for, especially for a team that effectively has had their seating decided uh, in the last uh, couple weeks. I agree with most all of that. Uh, I I think, listen, uh, it's difficult to manufacture a sense of urgency when you're seven games ahead of the competition, uh, even though that record uh, is a little distorted by the uh, high number of road games that uh, uh, the Nuggets played early and by in January, especially, I mean, they go 12 and four. uh, They won one more road game as opposed to losing home games in January. Uh, they, They really weren't as good as the 12 and four record would make it seem. But I, I do agree with you that a coach shouldn't have to coach effort. Larry Brown used to say that all the time. A number of coaches say that I'm here to coach a lot of things. Effort shouldn't be one of them. So if it's a matter of effort, certainly that's on the players. And you just made the point about Brown and Porter, with which I would wholeheartedly agree. They've both been pros. Brown is a rookie who played on a national championship team last year and I think deserves to be playing about three times as much as he's been playing on average since the All-Star break. Now, I know he played in the last couple of games more minutes, 
but he seemed to play Sunday because of a combination of Murray's being hurt and Malone being upset with Porter's defense, which shouldn't be a revelation to anyone. Michael Porter Jr. has never played any defense. What was different about the other day, and why was he singled out as the culprit for the third quarter? Uh, but again, my my point would be, listen, they shot 55% last night. They had 29 assists, so they certainly weren't selfish. But Jokic and Murray had nine turnovers combined. Jokic had four and Murray had five. That seems like fatigue to me, and that's not being addressed at all. And um, I, I guess Malone made some remarks after the game suggesting that veterans had spoken to the team um, who would those veterans be? It, it, I, I'm assuming it wasn't Reggie Jackson who just got here and didn't play last night. Would it be Jeff Green who played 19 minutes and was fairly effective last night? One of the few Nuggets who was um, pretty decent last night all around. Do you think it was Jeff Green who spoke to the team? Uh, do you think it was more than just one guy? I think it was more than just one guy. I, I think that uh, th- there's a couple of guys, especially that don't always play, that have been brought in and have been consistently good when it comes to delivering the message that is needed, no matter whether players want to hear it or not. And I think that it would be Jeff Green, it would be DeAndre Jordan, and it would be Ish Smith. Uh, yeah. Ish hasn't been, yeah. Ish yeah. Hasn't been in sense. the the limelight a lot over the course of this time. But when, when you bring he's been a good soldier too, though, he hasn't complained. Oh yeah. You bring in Reggie Jackson. He's, he had to sit behind bones Island for much of the season and he's not going to play there. There's no role for Ish Smith in the regular rotation this year, but for him to be willing to do the things that he's had to do, I think is admirable and, and to step up. And I, I think he did say something last night to the effect of, Hey, we are not stamped. We are not ready to go for the playoffs. This is not who we are. And we still have work to do in order to get the things done that we need to get done. So I, I think that there is a good message being laid by both. I know people don't want to hear this. Uh, Michael Malone is, saying and doing the right things most of the time. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the handling of Porter. I don't necessarily handle uh, the, I don't agree with the handling of Christian Brown, but for the most part, he has steered the ship in the right direction. And this is only the second little bit of adversity they faced all year. So how they come out of this uh, means a lot to me. And I do think that the veterans on this team, especially on the back end of the roster that Calvin Booth kind of brought in, I do think that they have been really helpful in making sure that the team does not become complacent. They've become complacent lately, but frankly, they had a really good reason to. At one point, they were eight games up on the Memphis Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings. So I'm not super worried at this stage. I think that there are still some things that the Nuggets have to figure out between now and game 82. But if they do that, then there, there should be no reason for... Nuggets fans and, and everybody surrounding the team to be super pessimistic. They still have all of the talent and the makings of a championship team. We're talking to Ryan Blackburn, the lead Nuggets writer for milehighsports.com. Check it out there. And of course, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. You can catch that on YouTube 
as well. And it's a, it's a great job. Brian does a terrific job. You should follow him on Twitter, NBA Blackburn with the rotation charts. Uh, you'll find very revealing as well. I know I use them every day uh, here. So uh, thanks for joining us, Ryan. But what, you, what I guess what I look at is the shorter term. Let's just look at the rest of this road trip, the next four games, Detroit on Thursday, New York on Saturday, Brooklyn on Sunday, hmm. then Washington on Wednesday before they come home and have, a, obviously, a very difficult matchup against the Bucs. But just these next four road games, the Nuggets are in their first four-game losing streak of the season. They have looked discombobulated and disinterested at times. And I, I agree with everything you said. 49 points against in the first quarter last yeah, night? Uh, about the, the situation with some of the younger players being handled. My concern with, about that is the same as yours. But over the next four games, for the road trip, what result would you see that then you said, okay, I'm they're back on track? What would it look like? Well, I have, I have a notorious issue with issuing reverse jinxes over over online stuff brand so, new show uh, no jinx here you're good perfect uh they are they will go four and up over this stretch i i feel pretty comfortable that this next game against detroit is going to be a good turnaround game for them i feel that they have they've lost to all three of the upcoming games that, yes that they've, they, they lost to all three of those games at home to they, Detroit they beat very Washington, but they lost the, to the other three teams on their home floor. Yeah, You're right. Exactly. And, and I think that this team, I, I think they have had a wake-up call. I think they know exactly what it's going to take for the rest of the season. And they know the time is running out in terms of how they have to approach this thing. So going to Detroit, who a uh, very injured team right now, very young, inexperienced team right now that is ad- almost admittedly tanking for Victor Wembanyama in the draft, I think that they will get a win there, Denver will. And then in this uh, back-to-back that they play in New York against the Knicks and the Nets, it's going to be tough. Their early starts in both of those games, it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped one of those. But I honestly think that they're going to they're gonna straighten up and then wrap things up with a win after two days rest in Washington. So it'll be interesting to see. But I do think that this team understands the stakes, and I think that they needed a little bit of a wake-up call, and they've certainly delivered it unto themselves. He's Brian Blackburn. Make sure you check him out as I put it out. NBA Blackburn, exact, spelled exactly as it sounds, hosted the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. You can actually watch that on YouTube as well as he puts that together live. Uh, terrific work for Ryan. Delighted to be part of that uh, Mile High Sports team with him on there and check all of it out at milehighsports.com. Thanks so much. We're really looking forward to working with you uh, for the rest of this season and as the playoffs get on get up for the Bron- for the Broncos, pardon me. For the Broncos are not going to be in the playoffs. The Denver Nuggets are though as the top seed of the Western Conference something they've never done before. So, an unprecedented opportunity to look at this team and look forward to having you. Broncos can go to the playoff game. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we've seen we've seen Nuggets at Avs games. Broncos can buy tickets and go to Nuggets games. There you go. Or Avs games. Or have game and actually see what a winning and or and see what a winning team looks like. Yeah, it's all sorts of options. But uh, Ryan, thank you so much for the insight, and obviously we'll pay attention. And uh, if they don't go four and zero, we'll obviously blame it on you. Hit me back, guys. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you, right, take care. <laughs> Ryan Black for joining us. Uh, he really does a terrific job. That podcast, if you haven't had a chance to see it, once it's gone on YouTube too. Uh, for for the night owls like me. Uh, he comes on after the game and then puts that together, you know, live with with uh, taking feedback. So it's really an interactive thing. It's a terrific, terrific podcast. Really good work. And uh, yeah, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter too, because just the information, the data you get so quickly. Ryan really approaches the game in a very uh, meticulous manner, looking at both the eye test and the analytics. And I, I think for the NBA, that's the best way to handle it. 
Am I overdoing it in stating that Malone's postgame comments last night, while welcome for the likes of us, because mm-hmm. it's something to talk about, um, am I uh, overstating the uh, self-serving nature of those comments? Am I overstating that? Maybe a little, but but you're not, I don't think you're entirely off base. We have seen this from Michael Malone before. Uh, I think coaches don't get criticized when their teams don't play hard, generally speaking, especially if they're good teams. Right. They, they get criticized when their teams uh, maybe are mismanaged. Right. <laughs> but and, and they, I think they don't get criticized. Me, Players get blamed if they aren't I mean, Ryan putting agreed. forth sufficient effort. The, the, the first two shows you've done, we've talked about the Nuggets. You defended Michael Porter Jr. You talked about how Christian Brown has been misused. Ryan yes. comes on and says unprompted the says the exact same thing. Says the same thing. And, and obviously, those are both Michael Malone issues. Yes. Uh, holy Michael Malone And Michael issues. Malone is now playing Christian Brown. Does he just now come across the idea that Christian Brown can well, be we only, valuable? We only started the show this week. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> Couldn't, well, couldn't have heard it before but, that. But so, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? He did play Brown on Sunday in the fourth quarter. But again, I think if Murray's not injured and he isn't upset with Porter, that, that Brown doesn't get off the bench. Brown was not leading up to and game on Sunday part. part of the rotation. The two guys that I think that, that have been mentioned that actually, and I, I thank Ryan for pointing that out. You really haven't heard any of the Michael Porter Jr. talk like you had in previous seasons. He's just kind of showed up and done his job. I and agree. He's been professional. And I even went as far as to say I agreed with his beef the, problem the other is, day. I thought it was stated in a calm way. He didn't rip no, Malone, but he observed that it's hard to score from, from the, the bench, bench. Especially when you had a great night. And I think when you're looking at the unfortunate situation here is the one guy that can end up benefiting is Brown, but it, it's only at Porter Jr.'s expense, which ends up really being a net what? Well, it's certainly not at Murray's expense. I mean, Brown played, what, 17 minutes last night? Murray still played 40 minutes. Right. After having to miss the fourth quarter of the game before. Just pedal to the metal with with Jokic and Murray. on the floor played 40 minutes last night. Fred Van Vliet had 36 points. He didn't play 40 minutes. You coming off an ACL injury? Just wondering. No? That's what I kind of thought. That's something the Nuggets will have to watch out for. They'll be back on tomorrow, an early start in Detroit. Uh, we'll obviously check in with them tomorrow as well. But thanks for Ryan Blackburn for joining us. We're looking forward to having him involved in the show pretty regularly. We will turn our attention back to the Broncos. The next opportunity, of course, it's funny, you can't even sign players yet, but free agency feels like it's mostly over because they've all been negotiated. So we turn towards the draft where one Denver Bronco receiver looks likely to be traded. The question is, which one? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. It's one thing to complain, but when you're driving me insane, well, then I think it's time that we took a break. Maybe we're just trying too hard. When really... This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos hot off a rather explosive start to free agency. And who knows where that, that may continue, although already is now the NFL free agencies want by the time you can actually 
sign guys. Everyone knows where everyone's going for the most part, at least all your sort of tier one and tier two free agents. So looking towards the draft where the Denver Broncos do not have a lot of picks, where George Payton, the GM, has always talked about wanting to have a lot of picks, where Sean Payton presumably would like to have more picks to bring in his guys. The Broncos wide receivers are all being talked about around the league as potential trade possibilities. And then that makes a lot of sense. Here's the part that, that I don't like. And I think I'm interested to get your opinion on this because we, we talked a little bit about this. If you want a second rounder or higher, KJ Hamler is not going to get that for you. Of course not. Tim Patrick coming off the injury is not going to get that for you. And he doesn't seem to be on the trading block. No. Cortland Sutton, I believe is. Definitely. I'm not sure that today Cortland Sutton gets you more than a third rounder. I don't think he does. Especially when you look at some of the other trades around the league. Darren Waller was a third rounder. I know there's an injury. Darren Waller's injury list is is no longer than Cortland Sutton's. And you only got a third. For a tight end. Who will be next year, if healthy, one of the the top five. The most productive giant receiver. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. Wide receivers included. Running backs included. Uh, Saquon Barkley, who caught 90 passes once upon a time in a season. Mm Mm-hmm. Waller will catch more passes next year than any of them if he is healthy. So Cortland Sutton doesn't get you a top two-round pick. Oh, of course Well, that leaves you Jerry Judy, who finally... The last six games. Six games when Nathaniel Hackett had basically been uh, replaced and and the offense changed and simplified, and, and they started doing what... Well, Jerry Judy had done well his whole collegiate career, getting him in space, letting him go across the middle of the field and letting him do his thing. Uh, Jerry Judy looked like the kind of player that actually you you realize why they picked so high. There's two problems. Russell Wilson still doesn't really like using the middle of the field. And second, while Judy, I think, clearly leapt to being the Broncos number one with a significant amount of upside, he's the only guy that's going to get you a, a pick in the first two rounds. Correct. Correct. And he may not get you a first. Because people will look at 35 games that preceded the final six and say, I'm not sure. And there's also an injury history of sorts with Jerry Judy. But in those last six games, let's make the point as clear as we can. The last six games of last year, he caught 37 passes for 523 yards and three touchdowns, caught 82.2% of the passes thrown in his direction, up from 53.6% during the first 35 games of his career. Those kinds of numbers over a six-game stretch to end the season put him up there, 35-plus receptions, 500-plus yards, three or more touchdowns, with the A.J. Browns and Devontae Smiths of the world from Philadelphia, of the C.D. Lambs of the world. In other words, Pro Puts him up there with Keenan Allen of the Chargers in the last six games of the season when he came back from injury. And the uh, best oh. receiver probably in football today, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Those are the only other guys who over that same six-game stretch produced as Jerry Judy did. So are you really that anxious to trade him? You better not When be. the cap hit this year... For Jerry Judy is four point eight three million dollars compared to eighteen point two seven million for Cortland Sutton. That's that's my argument, Sandy. I, I have I have concerns about the idea. Uh, is Judy the most marketable? Sure, he is because they're going to look at the numbers you did. They're going to also look at it and say, look, he did that on a team that had an abysmal offense with a lousy quarterback, with a quarterback that had a terrible, terrible year on a on, on a team that really 
wasn't generating anything on offense whatsoever. He still he managed was to do that. The offense, he was the Broncos' offense the last in the six final games. six games. That's exactly right. To the extent that they had offense, and he provided That's not the guy you trade. No, and don't trade. Trading Jerry Judy right now would be do, a do you monumental up, error. Do you pick up the fifth year option by May first? Yes, I do. I do, uh, and I'm not a huge fan. And that's what that's right? what I wanted to talk about. I know fan. you're not a big Jerry He's Judy. He's kind fan. of in Michael Porter Jr. territory to me. Okay. I love you sign him to the fifth like. one of my year, the year option. He makes twelve point seven million in twenty four. If he produces in twenty three the way he produced anything like he produced the last six games, twelve point seven is a bargain too. Yeah, it ain't eighteen point two seven. And I understand there's dead money if you deal Sutton. But the savings would be almost $7 million. Right. I know you're not going to get a first or a second back for Cortland Sutton, but to get an additional third, uh, we went through this during the course of the program yesterday. They have two thirds, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. That's I, I, I think their that's- Hopefully you get a right low, hopefully you can get a third for Cortland Sutton. Maybe it's not even a third. I I don't know. Maybe it's a fourth. But if you had three thirds, depending on where the third one is, because mm-hmm. the first two are at 67, 68. Their first two picks of the draft are back to back picks, mm-hmm. right? If you got something in the seventies, all right, having three third rounders between 67 and let's say 77 would almost be the equivalent of having one early second round pick, i.e. the second round pick that was part of the Russell Wilson trade. I, I would agree with that. I think, I think you find, look, I mean, in the first round you have to find not only starters for the most part, there are certain positions. I understand that's not the case. In the first round, you have to find guys that'll start on your team day one. In the second round, you have to find guys that are probably going to start at some point before their rookie season ends at worst. But at the third round, you should be finding guys who will make your team and oh, earn, and earn play, play team, time. Definitely. And earn definitely. play time. Well, on this team. On this, and your bad team, team, definitely. But so I, I'm with you. I I have no problem, especially if you can get a third for Cortland Sutton. I think you made that deal. There, there are enough wide receivers and quite frankly, wide receivers in the league. You can find productive guys. Productive guys to be depth receivers for you. Cortland Sutton, to me, is no longer the team's number one. I'm not even sure if Tim Patrick was healthy, he'd be the number two. And so if he's carrying that cap hit, you can get a third. That's the move. But as Jerry Judy, who is still very young, now coming on, seems to have found a rapport with Russell Wilson, which, by the way, makes him the only guy that did. You could move him for a... a, Maybe you get a low first. Or a second, that's the guy you look at and I'm like, no, no, you're not going to get the replacement for him. This is the one guy that Sean Payton should be looking at and saying, okay, Russell Wilson at least has one guy he trusts and one guy that we know works. Let's build our, our, our offense around that when it comes to the passing game. Giving up on Jerry Judy now to get what I think would be at best a low first round pick, but likely a second. And okay, whatever, it's a second and a fourth or something. To me, that's that's just the wrong move. I know you want picks. I know you gave up picks. I know you traded picks to get your coach. 
but you don't cut off your nose to spite your face. You finally got the guy that you thought was going to be a star playing like a star. Build on it. Don't and, give up on it. And the cost it. is not prohibitive. Either this year or even next year, if they exercise the fifth-year option and bring him back for somewhere around twelve and a half to $13 million in 2024. Here's the possible conflict. Philosophically, Sean Payton is straight out of the Parcells slash Belichick school of player development and player evaluation. Bill Parcells, especially with the Giants, never believed you needed a great wide receiver. He had some good ones, some serviceable ones, I don't recall with the Giants under Parcells that there was ever a great wide receiver. They preferred to invest elsewhere. Peyton is quite a bit like that. Belichick especially. Now, sure. look at the Patriots' sure. collection of wide receivers. They did add Juju Smith-Schuster I, today. I understand. But, but you're right. They have not gone with superstar guys. No. Since, especially since Tom Brady moved on, they didn't go get the Randy Mosses of the world. And even for most of Brady's career, he was the one throwing guys and making them into stars. I am not always right, as those who have listened to me over the past 40-plus years know. We'll be happy but, to remind you. But I did say last year that when people were talking about how great Russell Wilson could be because his receivers here would be better than the ones he left behind in Seattle, i.e. Metcalf and Lockett. Yeah. I wondered what those people were smoking I, I and what either. they think they had been watching or what they thought they had been watching in previous years because, to me, Metcalf and Lockett were light years ahead of any receiver, much less combination of receivers, that the Broncos had. And that was with Tim Patrick healthy. All right? The Broncos last year invested more money in their wide receivers than any other team or teams in the league, save for two. And neither of those teams made the playoffs. The Rams were at $51.94 million spent on wide receivers. Arizona, $51.12 million. The Broncos, number three, at $43.72 million. Uh, that does not correlate with the philosophy of Sean Payton as it relates to wide receivers. The nature of wide receivers in today's game, and I don't mean to discount it, and I'm here saying don't trade. And the trade. Broncos didn't spend it running back side end don't or spend, uh, don't, don't trade Jerry Judy. I know I'm saying that. But here's the reality. Think about the nature of that position, right? To succeed, the quarterback has to throw you a catchable ball. For the quarterback to throw you a catchable ball, the offensive line has to do their job. For the offensive line to be able to do their job, at least to not get blitzed all day, you have to have developed a running game. All of those things have to have happened for a wide receiver to have success. Wide receivers are the spinning rims of your franchise's car. They look great, and they're flashy, but... Oftentimes, they don't actually do anything that directly correlates the success of your team. And they should be the last thing you add. When when you, I mentioned Randy Moss. Patriots were at the top of their game. Randy Moss became available. Okay. 
And with Wes Welker, what a combination. Sherry on top, right? right. Okay, well, but that's what we'll do. We'll throw some spinning rims on there. Let's go pay Randy Moss. And now, boom, off and go, go win yourself some Super Bowls. But the Broncos aren't in that position. Randy you're right, Moss. It does correlate with the teams that spent a lot. Rand, Randy Moss is the one exception in all the years Parcells was the head coach and all the years that Belichick has been a head coach. It's the one exception, a, a truly great player. But remember, they got him on the cheap because he admitted that he didn't go full out on every play mm-hmm. with the Raiders. Right. And presumably before that with the Vikings, where he was at times brilliant, but at times an underachiever as well and was most of the time an underachiever with the Raiders. Remember the circumstances of that acquisition. Uh, he was the first of the diva wide receivers, the true divas of the wide. He's had plenty of company uh, ever since, ever right. since. But that that was sort of the beginning of the wide receiver as diva phenomenon that we see uh, having developed in uh, the National Football League, certainly over the last 15 years to 20 years. He was at the forefront of that. We saw, to buttress your point, the Kansas City Chiefs lose Tyreek Hill, right? who definitely helped the Dolphins last year, no doubt. And I imagine the Chiefs did miss Tyreek Hill, but they won with an assortment. Michael Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju Smith-Schuster's uh, Hardman, the, the Tony kid they got from Kadarius the Giants. Tony. Yep. You know, decent receivers, but nobody special. And they weren't able to strike down the field as easily, but that was already being taken away from them yes. by the Vic Fangio style defense. Putting the shell on top there. Right? Putting the shell yeah. on uh, Tyreek Hill and reducing his. To which Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes like, well, we'll just chew up six yards at a time. That's fine. And <laughs> they, they didn't have a problem they with that. Adjusted Took it all as, the way to the title. As a great head coach, Will adjust. Andy Reid adjusted. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback, adjusted as well. They relied maybe even a little more on Travis Kelsey. He was more than up to the challenge. But the Chiefs are a good example who went from a team having a major receiving threat to one that didn't really have one. And the proof of that is that they were content to lose Juju Smith-Schuster who might have been the best of the bunch. Uh, Not by a lot, and he's certainly not irreplaceable, but they were willing to lose probably their number one wide receiver for not one year, but for two years running, back to back. And they, they may lose Orlando Brown, right? Yeah, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Left tackle, there's value in that. But there are different ways to go. My point is that you can't pay receivers as much as the Broncos paid receivers last year and get virtually no production for at least the first 11 games of 2022, even from Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy's production, to the extent that he almost hit 1,000 yards last year, came almost entirely in the final six games. The Broncos, of course, will decide on that as the draft gets closer, but you're exactly right, Sandy. Look, they, they, they knew what they were doing. They had, a, they had the quarterback, they had the scheme, and they worked around it. Of course, we know it's starting tomorrow, right? The uh, the hoops are starting tomorrow, and you don't need a pot of gold to strike a bridge this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook 
features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're a safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. You have a direct line to their experienced staff behind that counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, so no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. So download the Superbook app. Start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And we'll be talking about that tournament, so go download that app because, uh, yeah, we're talking March Madness. Next on My Life Sport. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. Weekdays 2 to 4 or on demand anytime in our mobile app. This is Mile High Sports. The, the NCAA tournament is ready to go. Of course, in a little under an hour, uh, two 16s will meet up. Bradley Dickinson to Texas Southern will play. And then following that, Nevada and Oregon, or pardon me, Arizona State, two 11 seeds will play. But it, of course, is really the, uh, the meat and potatoes of this tournament starts in an earnest on Thursday and Friday. And so we want to look at it, Sandy. Of course, you are a, a seasoned college basketball uh, uh, viewer and analyst here, better than I am. But I, I, I take a look at the way that this season has gone, and it just feels like there are so many potential upsets. There, there haven't been that many teams that have been really strong that haven't had blips or that haven't had some losses that really make you scratch your head. And... This is a one and done tournament. So I mean I look at, at look at this and I kind of think, how mad is this madness gonna be? I think it's more than usual. I think it is, and it may not kick in as much in the first round. It might be Saturday or Sunday that we begin to see some shockers, maybe even a one seed eliminated on the first weekend. I think there's a possibility of one number one seed going out the first weekend. I'm not sure who it will be. Uh, certainly 16 is not going to beat one. No, not this But year. could eight or nine beat one? I think there is at least a chance of that uh, happening with some challenging matchups for the one seed in the round of 32. But I'll give you from each region my best upset possibility I for love it. the first round. For those of you who remember yeah. what I just said, download right. that Superbook app. <laughs> Check it out. I like College of Charleston against Virginia because I think College of Charleston can score and Virginia is a very good defensive so that, team, a, but a, a lot of their defense is predicated on playing so slowly. So that would be on one offense. of those second round situations that you'd be talking about a run there. I I think College of Charleston can make a run. Okay, wow. through the first weekend. So knocking not off, just knocking off SD State, San Diego State, and then but, take, but maybe, then maybe taking woo. on we'll go through uh, five out of four. Okay, who would it be? Uh, that they would they uh, would meet Alabama in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, if, if they, they got there, they I'm sorry, I, 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 I messed that up. 
I've got College of Charleston as a 12 seed over San Diego State. 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 Right. Right. And then they would play Virginia, and I think they will beat Virginia on Sunday. Right. Wow. But I think they have a chance, in fact, more than a chance to beat San Diego State. And I'll, I'll leave my argument for their beating Virginia where it sits. And uh, the actual game is 12 versus 5. And I think uh, College of Charleston will knock off San Diego State. And and 12-5, I, I don't even Seems know. Seems like every year. I, there was if one year go, where it didn't happen, but historically it, it happens almost every year. Nine beating eight is not an upset. Even 10 beating seven would not, to me, be a real upset. 11-6 um, is borderline. So I'll start. I think you have to start with 12-5. Uh, I think, uh, and you put me onto this game out of Greensboro on Friday night. Montana State has a shot at Kansas I State. I really Kansas think Kansas State do. has faded late in the year. They are totally reliant on Johnson and Norvell. Uh, Norvell is a very, very good point guard, but undersized, and we've been speaking a lot about fatigue today. I think he and Johnson have had to carry the load for much of the season, and I think they are wearing down. That some. spread is eight and a half yeah, points. That's I, I am all over yeah, the Montana ridiculous. State Bobcats And that would be a 14 that. beating a three. Yeah, so that, I, that, I don't know if they be even beat them, but I, I feel there's no way. there. That spread's too high. I will take Montana State and the, and the points on that. I will Easy. look to the Midwest, and I like Drake's chances against Miami largely, and that would be a 12 beating a five, because the ACC stinks. Duke is playing well Please right now, really feel. but the ACC, as I indicated yesterday, in my view, as a conference, is weaker than the Mountain West is. The ACC was really, really bad this year. The ACC had North Carolina at the beginning of the year as number one team in the country. North Carolina didn't come close to making the NCAA tournament. So they were in the championship game last year and had four of their five starters coming back this year, including Baycott, the center, mm-hmm. who was close to being player of the year last year. Yes. Shibway beat him out and deservedly so. But Baycott, even this year, had a pretty good year. But Love and some of the others just became bad basketball players this year. And Hubert Davis wasn't able to get them going late in the year as he did last year. And so I'm not impressed with Miami, and I think Drake can take them out. And in the West, boy, uh, it, it's harder for me to find a Thursday or Friday upset. But I guess if I had to pick one game, it would be 12 seeded VC. That's over me, Saint Mary's. That's the one. I that's the one I would pick as well. I think that's the one that you, you'd look at there. But. Um, it, it, it's going to be a ton of fun, of course. It's always a, a blast to have this, this tournament. It's my favorite two days of the year of sports and the two that I always wish I had off, but you never did because I can park my tail on a couch and house a couple bags of Doritos. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's happened. But you can't do this, time, of course, because we'll be here looking forward to that. Well, as we well. can get the morning games yeah. you know, before oh, yeah. we go on at two. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, the night games. A 10-15 start, by the way. Uh, we'll kick it off yet. Yeah, that... Uh, uh, West Virginia, and I'm forget Maryland. West that's, Virginia, that, Maryland. That's a very good game. That is a, that's where uh, they Maryland, start off. 10, 15 tomorrow. A former ACC school, now in the Big Ten, uh, I think uh, might be. They're they're one of those teams that blows hot and cold. 
so they could be dangerous. West Virginia has gotten a lot better as the season has gone on, and I do think there will be a Big 12 effect in the tournament. Uh, In my bracket, I don't have any Big 12 teams making the Final Four, although I think there's no doubt that the Big 12 is the strongest conference in the country. But I do think they've, uh, in a sense, cannibalized one another during the season, and I think some of them are running on empty or close to that. Um, I think Texas and Kansas will do well in the tournament, but I don't have either one making that. Interesting. Okay, interesting. I, I, I actually, I do have Kansas making the final four. I have two ones making the final four. I have Houston and I have Kansas uh, making. I the never final four. pick teams that I root for to win. Yeah, yeah. I never do that. Just to, just to be. No. A- if I picked them to win, I'd be uh, voting with my heart, right, as much as with my. Head. Uh, I do, I do that a lot too because I just you'll assume that uh, then that your favorite team will lose because then if they do, you're not disappointed. But if they win, it's a pleasant surprise. That's right. So that's that's, that's right. the way I tackle. No, it as well. I, I don't have them losing. Uh, I, I am getting. I mean, I have that, the can, that Kansas Gonzaga. I, think, I, yeah, I am too. getting to I think elite Kansas will get eight, but uh, I I actually think Gonzaga will beat them. Uh, once they get there and uh, you know Kansas is not going to have to beat uh both uh Gonzaga and UCLA and I know UConn could could make its way through uh they could be dangerous but uh now I I like Gonzaga in the west in fact I I like Gonzaga in the west and maybe Alabama in the South more than I like Marquette getting there. Although I think Marquette can beat Alabama and I'm picking them to beat Alabama, but lose to Gonzaga in the championship game. I think Marquette is really good. Shaka smart is a good fit at a mid major. He was at VCU as we saw here in Denver years ago. And he is at Marquette, not so much at Texas. That was never a good fit. It will be obviously as fun as always. We'll stay on top of it uh, here as well and be talking about it. And of course, you know, Denver has a part to play as well. So uh, enjoy that. Uh, a big part. Very You'll big see part. my pick to win the national the championship thing. right here in Denver. Like we'll be here. We'll have a chance to talk about that. Thank you as always to Danny Bailey in the booth, making everything sound great. If you're watching on milehighsports.com or on the app and you're watching us, uh, that's Andrew Demmer over there doing work and putting it together. He also helps us put together our little post show video that we'll put together as well and put on social media right after this. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn and check out the Pick, Axe, and Roll podcast. We will be back tomorrow, but it's time for us to step aside for our friends and he'll appear on Cody Rourke for the afternoon drive. So for Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you then on Mile High Sports.